So glad it rained this morning. We've been dealing with drought-like conditions. Desperately needed to this onslaught of rain. How many of you had trouble getting up this morning? Yeah. How many of you considered live streaming church? Say, is your hand up as an example? No, I actually thought, what if I just watched this week? What would happen? I know that it's hard to get in here and get up and get going. I'm glad that you did. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in Proverbs chapter 1? This to me is an urgent passage of Scripture. I will begin by saying I wish that I had the capacity to communicate the urgency of this segment of verses, the passion that I know is bound up in them by the author that is Solomon. What I can tell you is they are incredibly practical verses. What I can assure you of is that if you will adhere to them, happiness and spiritual success ensues. And if we reject them, we'll deal with the consequences of it. You see, the Bible does not describe how to live in a perfect world. It certainly tells us how the world can be perfect, but it doesn't tell us how to live in a perfect world. It matches how life is. So much of life is a series of nuanced judgment calls. And here we are gaining practical wisdom from the scriptures to navigate all of those nuanced judgment calls. Wisdom in these verses is speaking to us like a father. Fools, they're speaking in here too. And in effect, what we're going to see is this. We can either learn by faith, or we can learn by the hard experiences of life. And probably all of us are a mixture of both up to this point. Look with me in verse 8. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be available here on the screen so that you can know this is God's Word. And here from the very beginning, this is a father-child chat. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit, we shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our houses with spoil, cast in thy lot among us, let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wrapped up in some Old Testament Bible language is an intensely personal father-son chat. And I believe it stands to the context that this applies to every believer that is gathered in here listening in as their heavenly father talks to them through his inspired, revealed, written word. And we have to learn. Remember how Proverbs began in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. He is introducing himself, and it is an impressive introduction. He says in there, I am the king of Israel. He was a great man. 
He was the son of a great man, David, king of Israel. He was a wise man endued with divine wisdom. We have an exceptionally wise man who was a great man, a man of immense authority and immense power, the son of David himself, sharing these wisdom-filled proverbs with us. From the onset, verse 1 indicates to me a simple truth. One of the key integers, and we've referenced this all three weeks, to learning, to receiving instruction, to receiving correction, is that of humility. Now, we've already established Solomon incredibly wise, Solomon incredibly wealthy, Solomon a great man, a man of immense power. We find something very interesting about him interacting with his mother. And remember, his mother was Bathsheba who married his father, David, in ugly circumstances. And yet in 1 Kings 2, we read this, Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. I'm not concerned about that context, but I want you to note Solomon's response to the presence of his mother. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself under her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother and she sat on his right hand. So this man of immense power, immense intelligence, great and vast wealth, who had a mother who probably wasn't perfect and a father who wasn't a great dad in David, when his mother entered the room, he stood up, he bowed, and when he sat down on his throne, he caused a throne to be brought out and his mother was seated on the right hand side of him. He's indicating to us that he honored his mother. He's communicating to us the humility that is necessary to receive instruction in Proverbs chapter 4, which we'll arrive at in our study this morning as well. He's telling us about a talk that he had with his dad. So as Solomon writes these verses, he's telling us about real life stuff. Hear the instruction of your father. Forsake not the law of your mother. If you're here, listen in. If you're away, don't let it go. Walk with me through these verses as we listen to the instruction of the Father. Again, verse 8, my son, hear. That word hear does not just mean take it into your ear. It means be willing to obey and submit to what is said, the instruction of thy Father. Solomon's going to repeat this mandate as I referenced just a second ago in Proverbs chapter 4. I think that's probably the greatest father-son chat in all the Bible. Here's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 4. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. Instruction, as it is used there, is the Hebrew word Torah. That's the law. So we have to know the mandates, the commandments, the statutes of God our Father in heaven. That's what he's discussing. And in this, we grasp an urgency. Multiple times in the first four chapters, Solomon is pleading with his son to get wisdom. That's why I confess to you that I lack the capacity, the ability, the eloquence to communicate the urgency of these verses. Though these verses are incredibly urgent, it's wrapped up in Old Testament language. It's stuff that we're familiar with. We tend to slide right by it. This is urgent. Solomon is passion passionate as he communicates this. In fact, in chapter 4, here's what he says to his son concerning wisdom in verse 8. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. Listen to what he says in verse 9. This is instructive. 
She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. That is very much like what he says in verse 9 of chapter 1 when he says... For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. How many of you made an effort, endeavored to be ugly this morning? Which indicates many of you arrived at that state without even trying. Nobody tries to be ugly. Everybody exerts some effort. They put some energy into beautifying themselves. What Solomon has just said twice over is this. If you want to be more attractive than you currently are, if you want to stand out, it really has nothing to do with the way you physically look. What you may be wearing or what you own, it is intrinsic It is the attitude and the spirit on the inside. He says in these verses, it'll be an ornament of grace unto thy head. If you will listen to wisdom, it will ultimately make you more attractive. It will be an ornament, a crown of glory on your head. That's just a victor's crown. It'll be chains about thy neck. I was going to do that just as an analogy, an open shirt with a chain. I didn't want to intimidate everybody, so I steered clear of it. He's not talking about a necklace here. In effect, what he's communicating is a victor's crown that you receive and is on your head. It is a crown of glory. It's like an Olympic gold medal on you. It doesn't really enhance your physical visage, but it certainly makes you more attractive. In the New Testament, we see something speaking of a godly woman that she is to adorn herself with a meek and quiet spirit. The Lord is very concerned about our inner appearance. And he is in effect saying this will legitimately make you more attractive. Wisdom is desperate in these verses to spare us from the heartache of choosing the wrong way. All of the bruises and all of the scars and all of the heart and the headache and the resentment and the bitterness that comes with making the wrong choices. It's beautifying. And let's face it, we're a wayward group of people. It's not so much that we're ignorant as it is that we are disobedient. Often we know what we should do, but plainly, we simply don't put it into practice. So we endure life, the grind of living, with the hardship and the consequences of doing it our own way. I find it interesting, by the time we arrive at verse 20 of chapter 1, Solomon is depicting wisdom as crying out in the street. Like a herald on the corner of the street, proclaiming a message, wisdom is desperately crying out, seeking to get our attention. That indicates to me that wisdom is available for everybody. By the time we get down into verse 24 and 25 of chapter 1, he'll teach us that wisdom can be ignored, and certainly it is. By the time we get to 26, 7, and 8, and 31 and 32, we learn that there is certainly a heavy consequence that comes from ignoring wisdom. All of chapter 1, and we could literally go through verse by verse, is indicating to us that wisdom is desperately trying to get our attention. 
You may remember being a kid in class and you desperately wanted to answer a question and in order to answer the question you had to get the teacher's attention and to get the teacher's attention you had to stick your hand in the air and you made this sound, ooh, 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 ooh. How many of you ever did that? Mm-hmm. One or two. A lot of people in here are like, what did, did, what did he want us to raise our hand for? I'm not listening to this man. It's, it's cool, we're almost done. Ooh, ooh, trying to get the attention of the teacher. Get this. God in heaven has given us written revelation. He has given us, according to the New Testament, apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He has gifted us with wisdom. Wisdom is pleading for us to pay attention to her. She's depicted as crying in the streets Begging for us to listen in, desperately trying to get our attention, but she can be ignored, and when she is ignored, it comes with great consequence, and the Bible teaches us in these verses how it is that we ignore wisdom. Number one, look at verse 24, just the first part. Why does wisdom have to plead, and why do we ignore it? Well, number one, I have called, and ye refused. So now picture wisdom on the street corner shouting out. You're upstairs, dozed off, crying for you to pay attention to what I say, but you refused. Stubbornness is one of the reasons we don't have wisdom. The word refused in there indicates direct refusal. Stubborn or emphatically refused. I defy the established authority. Now, in many cases, a strong will can be a positive trait. But here it is depicted as refusal to hear the warnings of others. It reveals an arrogant spirit and a dull mind. Do you recognize one of the reasons you're grinding life out, constantly dealing with the consequences of doing it your own way, is nothing more than you're stubborn. You're refusing to take in the absolute truth of God's word. You need humility like I do and wisdom, but not just stubbornness. He says in the second part of verse 24, I have stretched out my hand, this is wisdom talking, and no man regarded. We're insensitive to it. This suggests a lack of listening. This suggests a lack of awareness. In the New Testament, it would be dull of hearing. I know if you are a parent, you comprehend what this is, and you'll do something like, hey, are you listening to me? Hey, are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? Did you understand what I just said? Yes, what did I just say? Uh, You just said, what did I just say? That's what the Lord is saying to us. I've stretched out my hand. You're so dull of hearing, you you don't get wisdom. I have reached down to you, but you're not taking it in. You lack the awareness. You fail to tune into my voice. You are insensitive, he says in the first part of verse 25. Ye have set at naught all my counsel. That carries the idea that that we keep God's counsel from making any difference in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. We just couldn't care less what it is saying to us. We set it at naught. We put it off to the side. We become enemies. We reject it. We're indifferent to it. 
Listen to Solomon in Proverbs 15. He's telling us his own accounting of this mentality of indifference. He says, The ear that heareth, the reproof of life, abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. You can't be indifferent. This is what I'm saying wrapped up in this is the passion of Solomon, an incredibly wise man who acknowledged he had received instruction from his father and he had to submit to it and obey it. And he's desperate for us to do the same, to avoid the headache and the hardship of life. But he knows that we're stubborn. He grasps that we are insensitive. He understands we are indifferent. And the fact is we're defensive. You ever been in an argument with your spouse and you said something and immediately she or he said, you know what, you're right, I was wrong. How many of you would fall over if that happened? Yeah, you know the Holy Spirit, he would fall over too if you ever did it. You know what, you're right, I'm wrong. We're so defensive. We don't like instruction. We've established that over this three-week study. We hate to be corrected. Reproof is not a word that we like. We're defensive. That's what he says in the second part of verse 25. You would none of my reproof. Would none means you're non-consenting. You're unwilling when reproof, when conviction arrived and knocked on your heart's door, you wouldn't have it. You were defensive when it arrived. When the pastor said, or the passage communicated, or the Holy Spirit convicted, you were defensive. You were non-submitting to that. Defensive people, you know what defensive people do? They employ different strategies. Defensive people employ the strategy of denial. It's not me. That can't be aimed at me. I didn't do it. I refuse to accept the truth of the situation, especially my own personal guilt. I just deny that it exists. Maybe they don't just deny, but they minimalize. They don't see the full significance uh, or the issue. They dismiss it as irrelevant. Not now, not for me, not a big deal. Or they are simply shifting blame. They resign a responsibility to someone else. They justify their own actions as a product of their circumstance. But all told, it's defensiveness that keeps the reproof of God at a distance. We're non-submittive to the reproof of God. Solomon's begging. He's pleading with us. Just walk through it. Hear, please hear. The instruction of your father and don't ever forsake the law, that which you have been instructed in. Understand wisdom is desperately trying to get your attention. She doesn't want you to go through life with headache and heartache. But the fact is you don't deal with it because you're too stubborn to take the truth in. You're insensitive, you're indifferent, you're defensive. The fool habitually does those things. Fails to confront their own ills and sins and pays for it. The instruction of a father gives way in verse 10 to the enticement of sinners. Here's what Solomon writes. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. He's going to add this in chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. 
if sinners entice thee. Now understand that that Hebrew word if in there does not mean it may someday happen to you that sinners will entice you. It is an if in the sense of when sinners entice you, consent thou not. In fact, he goes further and says in chapter 4, a mirroring passage, don't even walk the path with them. Don't even go in their way, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Who are the sinners that he's talking about? The sinners that he's communicating here are those habitual sinners. I believe it's indicative of the lost. And did you note that they begin with an invitation? If sinners entice thee, and sin is enticing... And even in verse 11, if they say, come with us, they're simply using an invitation to something that is at first seemingly enticing. Here's what he says. You have to respond to this in two ways. Number one, respond to the enticement of sin with determination. If and when sinners come knocking on your door, temptation arrives and it's enticing. And you receive the invitation, come with us. Here is his simple, here's his simple rule. Consent thou not. You know what that communicates to us? Just say no. And the earlier that you say no, the better. In the New Testament, we are told to flee youthful lusts. The apostle does not say Engage with youthful lust and try to combat them with all that you have learned. He says, get out of there and get out of there fast. Run. Don't engage with it. You don't have the strength to stand up to it. Flee. Run away from. Pass not by their door. Get out of there. Consent thou not. I think at times the temptation arrives and it requires for us to say a verbal no. I think Daniel in the Old Testament is a great indication of this. Daniel did not push back when he was taken captive in Babylon against the educational system. He didn't push back when they changed his name. But when the one thing that would have caused him to sin against his God, to eat the meat at the king's table, the Bible says Daniel said no, and he had previously purposed in his heart. It was a verbal response with determination. Someone wrote this, no is one little word that will save us all from a life of regret. Imagine one of the first words of wisdom offered through Solomon to us is how and when and why to say no. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. It indicates that when we capitulate to temptation, it is by our own consent. And man, we don't like that. We are consenting. We are deciding to sin. We are, according to the New Testament, yielding our members over to unrighteousness, which leads us to death. It's stunning. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But the Bible also says that there are temptations that are common to all men. All of us, men, women, children, dads, moms, grandparents, deal with temptation. And Solomon says, you want a nugget of wisdom? Just say no with determination and then say no with separation. This is something we've gotten away from in our world. 
In verse 15, I've already referenced what he said in chapter 4. In verse 15 of chapter 1, note what he says. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Don't even go their direction. Don't mimic them. Don't try to do what they do. And then he outlines the end of their life. With separation, he says. He's saying, now hold on a second. In these verses, the father's advising his son to consider the end of the fool's path. Yeah, they have friends. Yes, they're never alone. Yes, they seem to live exciting lives. But in the end, it's emptiness. It's calamity. It's loss. Say no and separate yourself from them. A life of separation. In order to close this study out, I want to jump to Psalm 1. And in the first psalm, we have in there a clear description of one who chooses to live a righteous life. They are choosing to live a righteous life by a strict refusal to involve themselves with anything that might erode their commitment to a godly life. And, and we're, we're told about a negative thing. But it begins with this word, blessed. Blessed is one of those really good church words. And when we hear the word blessed, we think of bless your heart. We think of somebody touching them on the forehead and blessing them. We think of blessing. But I want you to grasp what the word blessed means. Oh, the happiness many times over. That's blessed. Oh, the happiness many times over. I know that's something we're all looking for. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That is the life aim of everyone that I know. Solomon, at the behest of his father, David, who's penning the first psalm, is telling us how to get it done. This is the urgency. This is the passion. We must respond when sin arrives with determination and at times that requires us to verbally say no and to say it as early as possible. And then to maintain that, we separate from a godless society and world. Doesn't mean we go build a cabin on a hill somewhere. It just means that internally we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Walk is just a casual movement along the way. Oh, the happiness many times over of the one who doesn't even casually go through the motions or imitate the plan of those who live in ungodliness. Oh, the happiness of those who just stay out of that path. Oh, the happiness many times over of those who don't stand. It has the idea of taking one's stand in a marked out space. Eventually, someone who is walking by stands and stares. And then he says they will sit a permanent setting down, habitation, permanent residence with the blasphemous crowd. Just get the verbal picture here. You and I will be happy many times over if we maintain a pure walk, free from even the slightest flirtation with evil. If we begin to walk in the counsel of the wicked, it's easy to slowly slip into the permanent residence of the scoffer who lives there. We respond to temptation 
with a verbal no. Determination. We maintain our separation from it by not stepping their direction, not slowing down and mimicking and imitating, not taking it in and staring. Separation from this godless world. We've moved too far beyond those simple implements of Scripture. Listen in. Urgently, our Heavenly Father is trying to get our attention. So much so that He depicts wisdom as someone shouting in the streets. Everything there is free to access. It is here for you, but you're not taking it in. Hear the instruction of the Father. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Take wisdom in. Don't be defensive. Don't be indifferent. Don't be insensitive. Don't be stubborn. When sin comes and knocks on your heart's door, you are going to be enticed. The advice is just say no. Stop giving in to sin. Stop always doing what your flesh wants. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's what the New Testament tells us. Put it to death. You say yes to temptation too often. When it comes and says to you, say it. When it comes and it says to you, think it. Meditate on it. Fall into it. Get it off your chest. You say yes and I say yes too often. Consent thou not. And separate from this godless world. Don't walk in their counsel. Don't sit in their seat. Don't allow it to mold you. Proverbs 13.20 says this. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. As I was growing up, every now and again... There was a kid around that my parents did not want me to be friends with. Hey, be careful around that one. Now, my parents are members of this church, and they have pointed several of you out, and they've said to me, hey, don't be friends with them. Be careful of them. Uh, this is what our Heavenly Father is doing. He is saying to us, you want this to be much deeper and more complicated than it is. A companion of fools will be destroyed. He that walketh with the wise, things are going to go his direction, but a companion of fools is going to be destroyed. This is so simple that we just whiff on it all the time. A companion of fools is going to be destroyed, but the established ways are those who are walking with the wise. Who in your life is exciting your interests? What in your life is setting your habits? What in your life is determining your resolutions? What in your life is exercising influence over you? If it is from a foolish source, you're in trouble. But if it is from the word of God or from wise counsel, you're good. That's what Solomon's saying. I wish there were a way for me to simply communicate this as though I were Solomon. And Solomon, who has a life, a, a mass resource of mistakes that he made, wise, no doubt attractive, powerful, immense authority. We'd listen to him if he said, this is what my dad, David, said, and this is what I learned from my mom. And by the way, she pins the 31st Proverbs. They really put into him, and he's saying to us, if I could just beg if I could just plead with all of you believers, don't ever reject what your father tells you. 
Don't ever forsake it. Don't be stubborn. Don't be insensitive. Don't be indifferent. Don't be defensive. Be correctable. Be humble. I know that sin will come. I know that temptation will arrive. And when it does, just with determination, don't give in. Stop giving in to sin. You give in. You capitulate too easy. Separate from this world. Mark out their path and don't go down it. Turn away from it. Avoid it. He's pleading with us because a companion of fools will be destroyed. I think another simple application of this is how many of you dads are having this talk with your son? We sometimes are guilty of creating a perfect world for ourselves or imagining that we have. I have created a world that is so bulletproof that no sin nor temptation can get in to my children. Wrong. How many dads have just sat their son down and said these simple words? If sinners entice thee, and they will just say no. Don't go with them. It begins with an invitation. Come with us. You don't have to be one of us. Just throw in with us. Come with us. Let us do this. Just say no. And when you determine that's who they are, separate from them. How simple that is. How much heartache that can save us from. Just say no. How many marriages could have been saved if early on somebody just said no? No. How many testimonies could have been maintained if early on somebody had just said, no? No. If they'd have just separated. There is so much heartache that we are carrying. So much baggage in our marriages. So much baggage in our parental relationships with our kids and our kids with our parents. How much heartache could be saved if we would just open the window And lean our heads out and listen to wisdom as she cries out from the street corner and said, okay, no more indifference, no more insensitivity, no more defensiveness, no more stubbornness. I want to hear what you have to say. And when sin arrives, you stop giving in and just say no and then separate yourself from it because you know you don't want to be destroyed. You want to be happy. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes just for a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.